This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we launch into the prophet Micah with The Lord is coming, exile is coming, woe to oppressors, do not preach, and rulers denounced. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendorse.org or on your favorite podcast provider. We have been hearing from our listeners with questions, some subjects, transgender baptism, is God's forgiveness dependent upon our forgiveness, and what is the status of the Jews in terms of God's favor today? How should we regard them theologically? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin on this Friday, December the 1st. It's time for listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line, our email address Talk back at issuesetc.org and the comment line 618-223-8382. Does it seem darker in here than normal, or do I need cataract surgery? No, it's it's darker in here. That uh, that light is out above you, Jeff, the one in the middle. There you go. Bingo. Okay. All right. All right. We'll get we'll get to the maintenance person on that. I don't know who that is. <laughs> One of the four of us. It won't be Pastor Whedon because I don't even think Pastor Whedon knows how to change the light bulb. And I think a ladder would just completely confuse him. <laughs> yes, it would. Let's begin with Charlie. He says, hi, Todd. Listening to your most recent show on listener comments, I think the decision on whether to baptize a transgender person needs more nuance. Let me state up front that I'm firmly opposed to the entire LGBT movement in all of its forms. That said, I agree with you that gender dysphoria in particular is mental illness. I suggest, therefore, that when deciding whether to exclude them from baptism and the grace that it imparts, there's a distinction that needs to be made. If the person is in active rebellion against God, then I would agree that they're not suited for baptism at this point as with any unrepentant sinner. However, If due to mental illness, they genuinely believe that they are a gender other than that which they were born, but still profess to love God, I think they should receive baptism. I'd say the same for any other mentally ill person, such as a paranoid schizophrenic, someone with depressive disorder, anxiety disorder, autism, etc. If they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, Romans 10 verse 9, they should be baptized. Thanks for all you do, and thanks for the email, Charlie. I agree with you that we need to have a nuanced approach there. And I agree that we're dealing with a case of mental illness. There are complications to mental illness, though. And that doesn't exclude a call to repentance. If someone says, I have gender dysphoria, I have the strong sensation that I am really a man in a woman's body or something like that. And they say, I know that this is wrong. I know that this does not conform to reality. I know that this is a literally a, a dysphoria. It is these feelings are unwanted feelings. And to the degree that I indulge them, I repent. Well, then by all means, yes. Now, my point in my previous comments was what a person needs first and foremost in that situation is they need psychological help. And that does not preclude baptism, but they need psychological help that I think what we, when we were discussing in the context of the Roman Catholic Church, deciding all of a sudden to, that 
people with gender dysphoria without qualification, without any of the nuance, are candidates for baptism, is that somehow baptism is going to help the situation vis-a-vis the mental illness. And that's not necessarily true. Will baptism always help? Of course it will. But it may not alleviate the mental illness, and we have to deal with kind of this ongoing crisis that the person is undergoing. If they are indulging the dysphoria, then repentance is necessary. Someone says, I likened it to other kind of dysphorias and where people realize what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling is not true and it's not right. And to the degree that I've indulged it, I repent of doing that. That person certainly should be baptized and then get some psychiatric and psychological help. Brian writes, episode 3242, The Lord's Prayer, part three with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller on November 20th of this year. Pastor Wolfmiller says the Lord's Prayer does not teach that our forgiveness from the Lord is dependent on forgiving those who trespass against us. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15 say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I was taught we should let unclear passages interpret clear ones. That seems pretty clear. Could you speak more about this? Thanks for listening. Thanks for the email, Brian. I think if you go back and listen to Pastor Wolf Miller again, he is saying we do not teach that kind of God waits to see whether we forgive before he forgives. God's forgiveness is unconditional, given freely in Jesus Christ. Does the unwillingness to forgive after one has been forgiven does it reject that forgiveness and in essence say to God, I don't need your forgiveness? Yes. In addition to that, you're right. That Matthew passage is quite clear that one who refuses to forgive can expect no forgiveness from God whatsoever. I would like to put it this way. God's forgiveness of us is not dependent on our forgiveness, but it's also not independent of our forgiveness. The two always go together. God's action comes first, ours follows. When ours doesn't follow, as in the case of the unforgiving servant, then we can expect no forgiveness from God. In fact, it is a difficult passage that the master has forgiven the debt and then he reimposes the debt when it is clear that no forgiveness is forthcoming from the forgiven servant. If we wanted to really title that parable accurately, it would would be something like the unforgiving forgiven servant. The servant was forgiven, then he's unforgiving himself. And it is evident to the master that he has rejected the master's forgiveness. And the master essentially gives him what he wants. If, If you don't want forgiveness for your neighbor, then you don't want it for yourself. And he withdraws that forgiveness. So it's not dependent on our forgiveness, but it's also not independent of our forgiveness. And when you look at Luther in his explanation to that petition of the Lord's prayer, he's quite clear about it. Look at go and look at the large catechism on that. And he, he's quite clear in saying that if we will not forgive, we can expect nothing from God by way of forgiveness and that God's forgiveness ought to be followed by our forgiveness. In fact, he even goes on to say that our forgiveness of our neighbor is a sign of the certainty of God's forgiveness. Because apart from God's forgiveness, we would not have the inclination nor the ability to forgive others. 
Here's another question regarding our recent series with Pastor Brian Wolf Miller on the Lord's Prayer, Andy in Maryland. In his discussion of the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Pastor Wolf Miller referenced the parable of the unforgiving servant. He stopped short, though, of discussing the part that bothers me, where the master unforgives the servant for not forgiving his fellow servant. We are taught we should forgive as God has forgiven us, but it seems like the parable also teaches that if we fail to forgive, God will withdraw his forgiveness from us. I don't believe that is the case. That's not what I was thinking of as forgiving. Maybe Pastor Wolfmiller hinted at the answer when he said something to the effect that it was as if the servant acted as though he didn't believe he was forgiven of the debt. I may be reaching here, but that would then tie into repentance, contrition over sin, and faith in the promise of forgiveness. So was he condemned for his lack of faith, which was manifested in his lack of forgiveness? If so, I wish that would be made more clearly when this parable is taught. Then again, this sounds like our inability to forgive is an unforgivable sin. Or maybe I'm trying to read more into the parable than I should. Well, it's within the scope of the parable. Remember, the parable has its limits. So the parable has to have an end at some point. Could the parable have gone on to say, well, then the servant realized the error of his ways and forgave his fellow servant, and then his forgiveness of his debt was reinstated. That's beyond the scope of the parable. All Jesus wants to teach us is what he says very clearly at the end of that parable. So will your Father in heaven do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this is a parable that is clearly a parable of the law, that God's forgiveness is given freely without any condition whatsoever. The servant doesn't even seek forgiveness of the debt. He just says, I'll pay it back. Give me time. He wants time. And then having been completely and freely forgiven, he goes out and he shows that he has not received his master's gift. And that is to say, yes, he does not believe because he acts like he still has to rustle up money to pay the master back. As evidenced by the fact that he grabs his fellow servant by the throat and tries to throttle the money out of him and will not forgive him. So Jesus makes it quite clear. Not every parable ends with the gospel. So will your father in heaven do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We'll be right back. But it's a good refrain. You listen to it twice. Cause the DJ is asleep. On the radio. On the radio. On the radio. Uh oh. On the radio. Uh oh. On the radio. Uh oh. On the radio. Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 15 consecutive years. Please help us cover our expenses again this year by making a year-end financial gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2023. In the spirit of Advent, we journey to the humble town of Bethlehem. Luke 2.1 reminds us that, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. As we await the birth of Christ, let's reflect on the simplicity of his arrival. From all of us at Lutheran Church Extension Fund, may this Advent season fill your heart with hope and anticipation. 
Do you need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. When Christ came to earth, he did not come as a fully formed man. Rather, he took on flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He became a lowly embryo and thereby, in this act, made every child a gracious gift of God. No asterisks, no footnotes. To learn more about the blessing of children, pick up the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, cph.org slash witness, or our website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Come and, and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while, to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And or maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. Back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going to listen to email and the Issues Etc. comment line. This is from our latest book of the month, the book of the month for December, which is called N is for Nativity Christmas from A to Z. It's a hardcover children's book. Advent is our letter A, a fitting place to start. For these four weeks, our prayer is this, O Lord, prepare my heart. And now for letter B, we come to Bethlehem of old. Here Christ was born, just as the prophet Micah had foretold. It walks through the entire alphabet and teaches the story of our Savior's birth. Find out more about N is for Nativity at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, and order the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December. Sounds like a great Christmas gift for a young child or grandchild. Absolutely. All right, this one comes from, oh, this guy's Jeff, Jeff in Colorado, Dear Issues Etc. Team, and he doesn't spell it G-E-O-F-F. I'm always a little leery, wary, I should say, of men whose first name is spelled G-E-O-F-F. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It's just an alternate spelling. I know. I know. <laughs> it's just some, some weird proclivity, pet peeve of mine. Maybe, maybe... Maybe subconsciously, I really do want it to spell my name to be spelled G-E-O-F-F. And well, it's, it's, it's like it, it George. Does... It's like George. Are you suspicious of people who spell George J-O-R-G-E instead of uh, That's Jorge, isn't it? But it's George. Well, that's Jorge if you were in, in Spanish, of course. But 
you could spell George, J-O-R-G-E. That would be kind of the most simple phonetic spelling, but it's spelled G-E-O, just like Jeff, G-E-O-R-G-E. Isn't this also the same in the in the sense of someone who spells their name? You got the traditional Sean, S-H-A-W-N, and then the yeah. S-E-A-N. You know, you got those guys. I just, but that's kind of close. G-E-O-F-F is not close to J-E-F-F. You know, Sean is S, at least it starts with the same letter. You know, as far as, as far as that goes. But you know, you, you did learn in, in elementary school that G can also make the J sound. Otherwise, we'd be pronouncing George. I don't think George, I was taught phonics. Jorg. I don't think Jorg. I was taught phonics. And, oh, you weren't? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, I think, you know what I think? I, I was think, taught phonics and then they got, then they all got the new, the new educational reading. philosophy and it was nothing but creative writing from that point on. <laughs> and I couldn't even, I never learned how to write cursive because just as they were, just as I was learning how to write cursive, they just stopped. They, they gave it, they gave up on me and I've never... Never learned how to write cursive. Can't do it. I can't write cursive anymore. Like I sign a check. It's because you just you you type stuff. And yeah, my, my my handwriting has always been brutal. It's terrible. It's not just brutal. Now you know what? If you ask Deaconess Fredrickson, who runs this operation, she said she. I think she thinks yours might be worse than mine. And I said, "There's no way." What my my ordinary handwriting? Your handwriting where you sign things. Oh, no, my signature. Yes, your signature. My signature has evolved over time from what used to look evolved like... Evolved or devolved? Devolved. What look, used to look like Todd Wilkin, and now it just looks like T, squiggle, squiggle, new word, squiggle, squiggle. So, but I do have to sign my signature a lot. So Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Dear Issues, etc. team. This comes from Jeff, J-E-F-F, in Colorado. Thank you for the on-demand podcast option. I appreciate the flexibility it allows me. I want to comment on your two-part interview with Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. It was outstanding. Her insights were an excellent help in furthering my understanding of the neo-Marxist sexual and identity worldview and how Christians can take a stand against this great evil. Dr. Butterfield provided great insights for us to consider. However, there are a few points that I would quibble with. First, her salutary observation that all Christians must mortify the specific sins that they struggle with is spot on. While prayer, reading scripture, and being in the congregation are crucial, I'd suggest that her suggestions coming from a Reformed understanding are not as robust as our more biblical understanding of the church's sacramental life. We confessional Lutherans understand that our baptism is indispensable in our war with our old Adam and Satan our old evil foe, because we are baptized into our Lord's death and resurrection, Romans 6. Additionally, when we attend divine service, we hear the gospel sung into our hearts through the liturgy, preached into our hearts by our pastor, and then placed into our mouths when we receive our Lord's body and blood in the sacrament of the altar. And as if all this isn't enough, we still have the wonderful gift of private confession for those with a particularly troubled conscience. Second, speaking from personal experience, I recommend not reading the Puritans for inspiration in our battle against the flesh. I found them to focus almost exclusively on the law and not to look to the cross of our Lord, which actually made my struggles worse. Finally, Dr. Butterfield's outstanding argument that Christian parents should take their children out of government schools for the safety of their souls is advice that we in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod should take to heart. With the second largest parochial school system in the country, perhaps we need to encourage, 
and incentivize our parents and congregations to make use of our parish schools. With the radical secular indoctrination occurring in our schools, how can we, in good conscience, allow our children to be exposed to this evil? Second, perhaps there is an opportunity for the Synod to market our Christ-centered education system to non-Lutheran Christian media to get the word of what we have to offer out to our neighbors. The promo spot for our Lutheran schools by President Harrison on issues, etc., is a wonderful ad. Something like this could be used by God as a beacon to attract anyone who is desperately searching for education options for their children. Thanks for the excellent programming that Issues Etc. provides. Please keep up the great work, and thank you for listening in Colorado. Jeff. On the last part, I completely agree, and that's precisely why we produced the spot for Lutheran schools that we did. Let's play it again. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. And that's the reason we produced this spot. Don't ask us to. We said that we have this hidden treasure in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Center, which is this system, giant system of parochial schools connected to Lutheran congregations. Some of them not connected entirely to Lutheran congregations, but we have all these parochial schools. And we should not be hiding that light under the bushel. We need to say, look, if you're going to come to one of our schools, this is what your children will be taught. Are we counter-programming to the culture? Yes. It's an opportunity to do that. And this is something that probably should have been done decades and decades ago, ahead of what the situation we find ourselves in. So I think I agree with our listener wholeheartedly there. And we are making this spot available to Lutheran congregations and Lutheran schools who want to avail themselves of it. They can tag their own school at the end of the spot and use it wherever they want to use it. If they want to buy airtime on a local radio station they can certainly do it talk radio yeah or they they, if they want to buy ad time spend a little more money by ad time within other different programs they can certainly do that it's we're just making the raw audio available to them for precisely that reason now as to your first point about uh, rosaria butterfield you're quite right we can resonate with so much of what the reformed have to say and they at times will sound quite lutheran but you have to listen for what's missing and I'm not criticizing what Rosaria had to say on the air insofar as it goes, but from a reform perspective, you're not going to add what you rightly say, uh, their own more robust message that Lutherans have with respect to the sacraments, that we don't simply talk about mortifying the flesh. We say there is a actual sacrament instituted by Christ whereby we are called to mortify the flesh, the sacrament of confession and absolution. We point them back to their baptism, which, as we teach, 
means daily dying to self, daily drowning the old man that the new man may come forth. That's the catechism there. And of course, the Lord's Supper, which we approach in repentance for not only the forgiveness of our sins, but for the strengthening of our faith and the sure and certain seal of the resurrection of our bodies at Christ's coming. So we have so much more. And sometimes when you listen to the Reformed, you say, that's great insofar as it goes, but you're missing some stuff here. And that's why the Reformed can often, when we talk about these things, whereupon we agree, they can often sound Lutheran and they even think, well, I'm sounding just like you guys, but without that strong sacramental emphasis, where God delivers these things, how God delivers these things, like repentance and the forgiveness of sins, usually just gets kind of left in the ether, so to speak. When we come back, we've got a little more listener email and a little more issues, etc. comment line. Then Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith will join us for This Week in Pop Christianity. We'll talk about Nicole Crank's sermon, Seven Keys to Bigger Success. never been as easy as today. Would make me happy when you've gone so far away. Send me an email that says I love you. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1 800 325 3040 or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Criticism. I just had to call in to respond to this week's installment of Never Trump Drivel from Terry Mattingly. Compliments. I love the interviews and insights because they help me battle the slings and arrows of outrageous theology and practice. Clarification. Is there a point where, without baptism, infants go to heaven, and after which time they go to hell if they're not baptized? The Issues Etc. Comment Line, 618-223-8382. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. About 10 more minutes of listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Here's an email we just received from yesterday's teaching from Dr. Reed Lessing. 
on the history of the land of Israel, Gordon says, okay, maybe the land isn't promised to the Jews, but doesn't the Bible promise that there is something special in store for the Jews long-term? Shouldn't we be friends to the Jews, concludes Gordon. The last question, yes, obviously we should be. Now, Paul is the one who instructs us here in Romans, where he wants to make it clear that the Gentiles have benefited, and that's his word, the Gentiles have benefited from the from the bloodline of Abraham. The Jews is a, is a difficult term because he's speaking here of the Hebrews in terms of the bloodline of Abraham, the blood descendants of Abraham. Not Jews as a ethnicity, but really Jews as inheritors of a covenant and a promise. Because remember, the bloodline of Abraham can be expanded by the inclusion of Gentiles, which is his whole point there in the middle of the book of Romans. That bloodline has been expanded, and he uses the analogy of the olive tree. We all, not native, but wild olive branches have been grafted into the cultivated olive tree, while the natural branches have been broken off because of their rebellion, because of the rejection of Christ. But the olive tree remains. We have been incorporated into Israel, into the bloodline of Abraham by faith, not by our ancestry, but by faith. Because, as Jesus says, salvation is from the Jews, because salvation is him. So, Christ has incorporated us into the Israel of God. This is not replacement theology. This is being grafted in theology. That's how Paul talks about it. He has not planted a whole new tree. He has grafted us, Gentiles, into the already existing tree, which is the covenant and the promises made to Abraham and to all his descendants. And then he warns us as Gentiles that just as the natural branches could be cut off, we too could lose our place and the natural branches could be placed back on. He says, the covenants and promises of God are irrevocable. God has not failed. That does not mean that somehow God's going to get back around to Israel, to the descendants of Abraham by blood, the way the dispensationalists teach. That's completely false. He is saying, God has not failed to keep his promise. His promise was irrevocable. The promise stands. But those who reject the promise do not receive the benefits of that promise. The promise to Abraham's descendants that they would inherit the earth. And that was what's so good about Lessing's answer there. He goes, we're just thinking too small. We say, are the descendants of Abraham promised that land in perpetuity? He says, no, the promise the whole earth in perpetuity. But in rejecting the one that God sent, the Messiah, from the Jews, to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles, by rejecting them, they have cut themselves off from those covenants and the promises. But the covenant and the promises stand, and they are, we, the unnatural branches, are recipients of the benefits of those promises and those covenants by faith. When someone who is a descendant of Abraham, returns to Christ, therefore to the covenant promise made to Abraham, they become recipients too. By faith. That's the whole point of Galatians. That's the whole point of Paul's excursus elsewhere on Abraham. And that is that all these things are received not because you're descendant from the right person, but solely by faith. 
Now, he does elsewhere in unclear passages talk about how all Israel be saved. I think he's speaking there of all of God's chosen, be they the blood descendants of Abraham or those who have been grafted in by faith into those covenants of promises will be saved. Some believe that there will, in the last days, be a mass conversion of the descendants of Abraham to faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray that that would be so. I don't think the Bible necessarily promises that. But we pray that that would be so, just as we pray that everyone would be converted to faith in Jesus Christ. Hi, this is Dave Lambert from Troy, Michigan. So Jeff doesn't have to read my email. I thought I'd give you a call. First, you may already know this, but our church council at Ascension of Christ Lutheran in Beverly Hills, Michigan, voted last week to renew our congregational sponsorship of issues, etc. Second, I wanted to know if you've selected some potential dates for next year's Making the Case conference. Thank you for all you do. Wishing you a blessed Advent season. Two great questions. What was his first question? Because once I heard the second one, the first one got pushed out of my mind. I don't think it was a question. Was it saying they just renewed their Ascension of Christ Lutheran oh, Church, renewed their church sponsorship? And thank you very much for doing that. Jeff, what is the status of our conference and its probable time? Well, we're waiting for a couple of big-name people. There are four possibilities for the 2024 issues, et cetera, making the case conference, and it will be at Concordia. We know it will be at Concordia University of Chicago. So it's not going to change its location. It'll be either in June or July. These are and always be the same Friday and Saturday, June 7th, June 8th, June 14th or 15th. July 12th or 13th, or July 19th or 20th. But the reason we are we cannot announce a date yet is simply because we're waiting to hear from, for lack of a better word, for lack, lack of a better word, some headliners for the conference, and the dates basically hang upon their availability or lack thereof. Correct. One final email. Rick, I just want to comment that Pastor Jonathan Connor is excellent in his Kids Have Questions broadcasts. It could also be called Adults Have Questions, too, because I think myself and other adults have pondered similar questions, but we are too shy or embarrassed to ask. Also, Pastor Todd Wilkin is an excellent interviewer. He is great at letting the guests share their wisdom or perspective. Too often, many interviewers take five minutes to ask one question imposing their opinions, and only give the guest a few moments to respond. And I'm also thinking your staff does excellent work procuring guests to appear on the show, despite no Joel Osteen. Without too much flattering, I just appreciate the show for what it is. In God's peace, concludes Rick. And we have been so pleased with the series Kids Have Questions. I did not have low expectations, but this has exceeded any expectations that I had. It's a gift. It is an absolute gift what Pastor Connor is able to do. Not only answer the questions at the kids' level, but then go on for all the adult listeners and answer the question at a, at a, a deeper level and a more detailed level. So he's doing an excellent job. There are very few people, especially very few Lutheran pastors, who could pull that off, and he's doing a fantastic job. When we come back, it's This Week in Pop Christianity. Pastor Chris Roseborough of Fighting for the Faith will be with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. 
Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 10.30, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org.